Thank you, worship team. Good morning, High Point. Good morning. My name is Femi. I'm one of the elders here, and I'll be reading the scripture this morning. Um, the scripture from today is, or for today is from Luke chapter 18, verses 28 through 34. And then we'll also be reading from 1910. This can be found on page 1597 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Luke chapter 18 from verse 28. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. And then Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord written for his people. Hey, everyone. My name is Nick Gibson. If you're new, they call me the senior pastor. If uh, you're from old school High Point, like 1980 through like 2005, but you came to hear Vince, could you just raise your hand quickly? Yeah. So some people came uh, who, uh, who were like, oh, Vince Burke is speaking. So Vince became the youth pastor of High Point Church in 1980. So I was three. Um, he, when he got here, Dick Sisson, who was the senior pastor at the time, um, said, you know, youth ministry, like all ministry, is both good and hard, which is true of all of Christian life, right? Um, it, on his first— um, his first summer being a youth pastor, they had a hayride in which during the hayride, one of the young men got like— was like doing something, fell off the front of the wagon. And in, uh, I, I read an article by Vince's own hand. He said that, um, that the, the young man was grazed by the wheel of the wagon. And then in the next sentence it says, suffering severe bruising and a broken collarbone. <laughs> it turned out it was the senior pastor's son. So, um, and then in the first canoe trip they had down the flambeau, they had a bear come into their, uh, their campsite, like, at 3 a.m., and Vince told me after the service, he's like, yeah, it was, like, from here to, like, from here that he looked inside my tent. I was like, we need to talk to, to Luke to talk to Vince about having fun youth group stuff. Because I was going to tell my son, I was like, I was like, I was going to say, Jude, you need to stay away from this guy, Vince, but he just sounds like too much fun to stay away from, honestly, in my opinion. Right? Anyway, but, but um, sometime later, after he served here for five or more years, um, he did some more seminary, and he went to the Philippines as a missionary. He's been there for years. Um, if you don't know what's going on in the Philippines, um, some, of the, some of the greatest harvests, some of the greatest growth in discipleship, some of the most exciting things God is doing in the world is actually happening in the Philippines. He'll say a little bit about that. Um, and so we asked Vince to be our speaker at this mission Sunday. So let me pray for him, and then uh, let's listen to him attentively. Father, as Vince comes, we pray that we, we would listen to him as somebody who has accepted the call to missions and the sacrifices it entails to live internationally, to be dependent on our generosity for his, his bread to eat, um, to be a person who lives cross-linguistically and cross-culturally, and to take on both the joys and the sacrifices of that work of being far from family and kin. Um, we pray that we listen to him as a man who has been serving you for years and years and years. 
and who has, you have given him the wisdom to speak to us. And I pray, God, that we would listen attentively to what you would say to us through him. Help us to be um, the kind of listeners who listen with humble, open hearts, listening for what you affirm in the Spirit and our conscience as we, um, we believe and trust that you have something to say to us through this brother. We pray that you would bless him as he comes in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come, Vince? Well, thank you so much. It's a delight to be here in Madison, and uh, this church allowed me to uh, cut my teeth, and uh, boy, I wasn't just wet behind the ears, it was tsunami behind the ears, and uh, uh, some great, great memories of our time here. God is good. Um, I want to have a little fun with you. I want to say thank you for coming this morning, and maybe you could turn to your neighbor and say, it's so nice to be with you. I love all the things you say and do. That's a song, you know, from a long time ago. Um, You are very special people. You've come to listen to a long, long, long sermon. You know, when I first read the program, the, the outline of the service, I read it sideways, and it said, Sermon, 9.30 to 11.20. And I thought, whoa, every preacher's nightmare, every listener's or every preacher's dream, every listener's nightmare. But anyway, I started reading it right. I was supposed to go down. Um, Yeah, you're going to go down, Vince, with these jokes. (laughs) You could sleep if you want to, or you could take notes. I really don't mind if people sleep, because I know preaching is talking in other people's sleep, and um, the Bible says he gives his beloved sleep. So maybe that's how I do God's will, by curing your insomnia. Okay. Uh, Either way, I want to celebrate God's goodness together today, and I hope that we can be an encouragement to you as we talk about missions and look at some verses in Luke. I hope you're encouraged today and drawn closer to God's purpose and plans for you and for the world. I uh, love this joke. Noah, keep an eye out for my mother. She's coming with us. Look what he did. My mother-in-law doesn't like this cartoon very much. Um, None of us are perfect. Even Noah had issues. But God can still use us. Amen? So I hope God will have his way this morning. Enough goofing around. Well, not totally. Um, I read a story before I get to my message about a grandmother who was on the beach with her grandson, her only grandson. And uh, he was playing in the shallow water and All of a sudden, a rogue wave came out of nowhere, scooped him up, and brought him out to sea. And she cried out to the heavens and said, Oh, Lord, it's my only grandson. Please return him. And within a matter of seconds, another big wave came and deposited her grandson on the shore, perfectly unscathed. And she looked up into the heavens and said, He was wearing a hat. (laughs) Some people just aren't happy. Well, I want you to know we are so happy and grateful for all that you do for us, the support over the years, the prayers. I often use the expression, some churches are more missionary friendly than others, and this one ranks up right at the top of that. And so thank you so very much for all that you do for us. We really appreciate it. I was just in a missions committee meeting recently at another church. It actually was an executive committee meeting, and so there are different members of the executive committee giving reports. The finance guy gave his, someone else gave theirs, someone gave theirs, and a young lady who was the chairman of the missions committee said, well, we had to cut our budget a little bit, um, so we let go of three of our missionary units because they're old. I almost fell off my chair because I'm getting old. I thought, well, that's the nature of the beast, but uh, you guys have been with us, and we really do appreciate it very, very much. I was privileged to write three books that were published in the Philippines. 
three children's books, ABCs of Jesus' birth, ABCs of Jesus' resurrection, and ABCs of heaven. And uh, just recently, never for big people. And if you want, they're out there. I'd love to have you grab a bunch. And um, hopefully they can be encouraging to you. And uh, if you're not able to buy them now, grab them and uh, get my address and we'll settle later. Whatever works for you. But I hope they can be a blessing to you and your family. This morning, I want to encourage you as to missions, just from some verses scattered around Luke, where you've been hanging out as of late. The first one comes out of Luke 18, verse 1. Jesus said to the disciples, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. You know, it's interesting that only one time and in one area that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something. And it was in the subject of prayer. They didn't say, teach us to do miracles, help us figure out how to cast out demons to do this or that. His prayer life was so profound and so exemplary that the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's when he gave the Lord's Prayer. And, and, um, and Jesus is here encouraging the disciples to pray. There was a time when I might have read that verse and I would have camped out on the ought. You ought to pray. You know, and that, that's, that's one of those subjects you want to make Christians feel guilty about because no one prays enough, right? And, um, or adequately. But I don't think that's where Jesus' emphasis was at all. I believe it was on the second half of the phrase. It probably sounded something like this. You ought to pray, and don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. And I I like to believe that's where his heart was at. If he would have sent it as a text, not to lose heart would have been in capital letters. In verses 1 to 7, Jesus tells a story about a woman who goes to seek justice from an unbeliever, a judge, and he gives it to her because she was persistent. She wouldn't give up. There's the encouragement. And God says, if an unjust judge delivers because of her persistence, how much more will your, will your loving Heavenly Father deliver? In your case, He cares for you and He can deliver. He'll come through, He'll respond. So don't be discouraged. God responds. Don't give up. Be persistent. Certainly that fits with missions. You know, prayer is not just a nice thing to do. It's a lifeline. And uh, we've seen so many wonderful answers to prayer. And we know that people have prayed for us through hard times and and so on. and, And God responds. Jesus goes on to tell the story of two men. One a Pharisee who's bragging about his wonderful spiritual life and his prayer. And then about another guy who can't even look up to heaven and he's beating his chest in humility and saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, guess who's the hero in that story? The last guy. Because he had a humble heart. And God hears the the cries of his children who cry out in humility to him. And he answers because he cares. And he answers because he can. Now let me show you a little Greek. That's a little Greek. Uh, Just kidding. This word ekakeo means to lose heart. And by definition, it means to grow weary, to faint, to become discouraged, to tire out, to give out in despair, to turn coward and run from the face of the battle. And Jesus saying, don't lose heart. Don't get weary, don't get discouraged, don't give up. Never say die, never give up, never give in, never give out, never back down. Keep praying for yourself, for your world, for your community, through your problems. Don't be discouraged and overcome with fear. Reminds me of 
what Chesty Puller, a Marine general in the Korean War, actually the most decorated Marine in U.S. military history, said on one occasion. He was approached by his underlings who said, Sir, we are surrounded. The enemy's in front. The enemy's behind. They're on the right flank and the left flank. We're surrounded, sir. And his response was, We're surrounded? Good. They'll never get away this time. <laughs> I love that. That's the spirit. When Winston Churchill gave his great speech, if you saw the movie Darkest Hour at the end, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight, etc., etc. Evidently, he gave that same speech over the radio, and, and um, there was a, a cleric in the Church of England in the room as well as some others, and after he finished giving those moving and stirring words to the people of Britain, he moved the microphone away and covered it up so no one can hear, and then he said to everyone in the room, and then we shall beat them over the head with empty beer bottles because that's all we have to work with. <laughs> I love it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Someone has said, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And so pray. Pour out your heart. Send up your needs. Turn your worry list into a prayer list. Pray for yourself, your family. Pray for the leaders of this church. Pray for the pastors. Pray for the staff. Pray for your church board. I heard about a visitor to a church uh, after the service. There was an announcement given in the service that after the, the service was over, there would be a meeting of the board in the back of the church. And so this first-time visitor went and joined the meeting, and someone said, Sir, can we help you? And he said, Well, you said there's a meeting of the board back here, and I'm about as bored as you can get, so I thought I'd come. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, pray for your city. Pray for this country. Pray for the world. It's amazing what God does in answer to prayer. What a weapon we have that when we get to heaven, we'll regret we didn't use more. The power of prayer because God is powerful and he responds. So Jesus says, don't lose heart in prayer. I will respond. Jesus even said when he was showing the disciples crowds of people, he said, look under the harvest. It's white. It's ready. And then he said, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would raise up laborers to go into the harvest fields of the world. Interesting that that was the first move to make with reference to this thing we call the Great Commission. Pray. And I love the fact that it's His harvest. He's going to make it happen. He's going to bring it in. It's His work. My son was recruited out of high school to play basketball with one of the top universities in Manila, Ateneo de Manila University. And uh, it was a big privilege. It was a cool thing. It was really fun to watch that. And it was a really big deal for them over there. Basketball, basketball is king. And um, so we had to go down and do some immigration stuff so we could get a student visa. And while we're down in immigration, we realized that it wasn't going to happen. We, unfortunately, had just been scammed by a guy out of $3,000 and didn't get the visas he promised us. And it was a horrible thing. We, as well as a number of other missionaries, and because of that, we were all messed up as far as immigration went. And so we're looking at two, three, four months before anything can get rectified for my son to be part of this basketball team. While I'm in the immigration office, I get a phone call from the coach. Hey, you know, Vince needs his visa by next week if he wants to play this year. I hung up the phone, and I was so discouraged. I was angry. We'd been ripped off. The whole thing just really stunk. And... Um, 
We finished up down there, got in the car. I drove my son to basketball practice. And along the way, I said, hey, you know what, Vinny? If God doesn't want you to go to this school, then he's protecting you for something. And maybe this is what's going on. If he does want you to go to this school, he can perform a miracle, and you'll get there. I dropped him off at basketball practice, headed to the airport to pick up Jeff Ringenberger and a group of students from Peoria, Illinois. Anybody remember Jeff? He was uh, with Youth for Christ here back in the 80s. And uh, I remember writing after dropping off my son and thinking, well, I don't believe a word I just told my boy right now. This is hopeless. But I got to my office on the way to the airport. I texted a bunch of friends and said, hey, please pray. This is a situation, blah, blah, blah. Get in my car to go to the airport. I get a call from one of the ladies in my wife's discipleship group. She says, hey, my cousin is the commissioner of this or that, and he's really good friends with the, com- the head of the immigration department, and he's arranged a meeting for your son to get his visa tomorrow at 2 o'clock. I couldn't believe it. I was ashamed of myself for being so unbelieving in my heart. And we got his visa the next day. If you know anything about getting visas overseas, uh, you know that's a true miracle. God answers prayer. So in your personal life, in your corporate life, as to missions, never stop praying. Jesus also says this in verses 28 to 30. I love this promise. Never stop believing God's promises for you, for us, for the church, for the world. Peter says to Jesus, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. I'd like to suggest that in a word what Jesus is saying is, Any sacrifice you make to me is worth it. By the way, I heard about a flight, it's almost St. Patty's Day, from Dublin to Boston. And the flight attendant got on the plane and said, you know, folks, we have 103 passengers for our 10-hour flight from Bos- to Boston. We just want to welcome you aboard Aer Lingus, and we're glad you're with us. Thank you, et cetera, et cetera. But we've got a problem. There's been a catering a mistake, and even though we have 100 people, unfortunately, they only put 40 meals in our plane. So we're short in meals. So this is what we're going to do. For all of you that are willing to sacrifice your meal for your fellow passenger, we'll let you enjoy as much beer and wine as you want for the duration of the journey. So there was a little clap on the plane. and Two hours later, the same flight attendant got back on the plane. He says, look, everybody, we still have 40 meals. <laughs> yep, we Irish know how to sacrifice. Anyway, uh, joke only. Jesus said, any sacrifice you make for me is worth it. It's worth it to follow him. There's a promise there. It's worth it to serve him. It's worth it to engage in his great work. And it really is. Even though there's going to be times when you wonder. It's worth it. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Never stop believing God's promise. And one of the great promises of God is that he's going to be with us through it all. I love the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And catch this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus being with us makes all the difference in the world. Amen? Can you defeat sin by yourself? No. Can you overcome death by yourself? Not a chance. Can you take on the devil all alone? No. Jesus destroyed all three in his crucifixion and resurrection. And he says, I'm with you, and that's what makes the difference. 
and he won't leave us or forsake us. He said to Joshua, I will be with you, so be strong and courageous. And, and those promises keep us going, amen? It's worth it to follow Jesus. Someone asked me recently, Vince, any regrets about the path you've chosen for your life? I'll admit, I paused. It, it was hard to leave my family. My mother cried every time we left, taking her grandkids over there. It was hard to commit to a less than lucrative lifestyle. Sometimes it was hard to be a foreigner. I went golfing with a Filipino friend once at a military base in Manila, and he paid his green fee. I went to pay mine, and she stamped my thing, foreigner, and doubled the price. <laughs> Some of those things were hard, but a lot of times it was more fun and funny. But I had to admit, even with some somber thought about some of the hard stuff, no regrets serving Jesus. No regrets following him as my master. Absolutely no regrets partnering with the wonderful Filipinos we've gotten to know and love all these years. God is so good. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He won't let you down. He's a faithful God. Paul says this in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. There's that same phrase again. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary. God promises, you follow me, your life will be fruitful. It'll be good, it'll be hard, but ultimately, when he hits the total button. It's all good. What a promise. He promises to make things happen in our lives as we trust Him to enable us to make a dis difference. But it's important we remember it's all about Him. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace. Grace is so wonderful. But you know we live by grace. Paul says in Colossians 2.6, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Are we helpless, hopeless, and powerless to save ourselves? Absolutely. Are we helpless, hopeless, and powerless to live the Christian life in our own strength? Absolutely. But Jesus can live it through us as we cooperate with Him and join with Him in His great work. What a wonderful, gracious God who promises to use our lives for His glory. The day was March 28, 1990. The Bulls were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Michael Jordan dominated. He scored a career high of 69 points. There was another player, Stacy King, a rookie. Took four shots, missed all but one. At the end of the game, he was fouled. He was nervous. He looked over at Michael Jordan, got even more nervous. Missed his first free throw. Took a second shot. Swish. Bulls win. Cavaliers are discouraged. The Bulls are so excited. Reporters storm Michael Jordan at the end of the game. And a few came up to Stacy King. So what was it like, Stacy? And here's what he said. I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> I love it. It's all about him, amen? He's the star of the show, but praise God, he puts us in it and gives meaning and purpose to our lives. Therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, that's true. I heard about a 
90-year-old lady that was asked once, what's the best thing about being 90? She said, no peer pressure. <laughs> yep, we're getting older. That's true. But Paul says we don't lose heart. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Now there's a perspective for you. Perspective's important. You're not fat, just easy to see. See what I mean? Perspective. It makes a big difference. <laughs> you could take your money back out of the offering. I mean, these are really bad, I know. <laughs> but we look at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, Paul isn't making light of or minimizing our affliction by calling it momentary and light. He's making a comparison. He says the affliction, the suffering, the sacrifice, the hurt that you have down here, if you're doing it for Jesus, it's momentary, temporary. It's light in comparison to the eternal, as opposed to momentary, weight as opposed to light of glory. In other words, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. I was on a plane to Manila last November. And I watched a documentary about Whitney Houston. I loved Whitney Houston. I think she has one of the, had one of the most beautiful voices of anyone, anytime, anywhere. And it was so sad to see the decline of her life as she made bad choices. And, and you know what? Fame and fortune let her down. It was a cruel master. I actually cried on the plane watching the demise of one of my favorite singers. Later, I thought, I wonder how many celebrities had an end like that. Either too soon, or very sad, or dire circumstances, regretful events, died too young. So I did a Google search. Oh my goodness, try it sometime. You wouldn't believe the list. I was so shocked. So many. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Marilyn Monroe. I guess fame and fortune let them down. Michael Jackson, Heath Ledger, John Belushi, Kurt Cobain, Elvis Presley, Bob Marley, and on and on the list goes. This world and all it offers is not the answer. Jesus is a good master. He won't burn you in the end. He won't let you down. He's faithful and he's good. And what a privilege to serve him. What a privilege to, to join with him in his great work and to know it's worth it because he promises to be with us every step of the way to enable us when we can't do it to bring glory and honor to his name. Never stop believing his promises for you, for his church, for the world. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I was privileged to go to Israel last April with a, with a group from the group I work with in Manila and we went to, I believe it was Capernaum, and we saw an idol temple, and there was a cave. And our guide said, that is the gate of Hades. The demons come out of that cave, and sacrifices were made to them in the pool inside the cave. And I thought, well, that's a different picture of the gates of Hades. And it was in that same town, one of the most idolatrous and wicked cities in the ancient world, that Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not stand up against it. Amen? And he's doing it. And you know what Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. The job is done. 
What job? He destroyed sin. He destroyed Satan. He destroyed death. And he took away hell, suffering it for us on the cross. He overcame in the great resurrection. The same God who said it is finished said, I will build my church. And he's going to get the job done. And so we believe those promises and we align ourselves with them. Never stop believing God's promises. And never stop proclaiming grace. Preachers have two key words. You want to know what they are? Finally and lastly. Finally means I'm almost done, but not quite. Don't get too excited. We're still going to be here a while. Lastly means a poem and a verse, you're out of here, okay? So that's the one you want to listen to. So finally, (laughs) never stop proclaiming grace. He took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. He will be handed over to the Gentiles and be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day will rise again. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's the gospel of grace. And Paul says it is the gospel that is the power of God into salvation. It's not even our presentation of it. It's the power and the message. What a wonderful, gracious God we have. The word grace in Hebrew means to bend or stoop. It's kindness shown by a superior to an inferior. Favor unearned, undeserved, freely given. In Greek, it's a gift undeserved. In fact, the opposite of what one deserves. What a marvelous thing grace is. You love grace? Do you show it? Do you, are you able to receive it? To bend or stoop. What Jesus did is truly amazing grace. You know, I remember when I was at Dallas Seminary, one of my professors said, you know, legalism is not just an alternate perspective on Christianity. Legalism is not just sort of a, a skewed Uh, way to look at the Christian faith. He said legalism is demonic. It's straight from the pit of hell because it mitigates against the grace of God. And I, I couldn't agree with him more. Grace. What Jesus did is truly amazing, and that's what we proclaim. The world needs grace, and the the world responds to grace. Amen? I call it grace intervention. You know, the physical sufferings of Jesus were not the most painful part of his death. In all likelihood, when he cried out in the garden, Lord, let this cup pass from me, he was referring to something other than the physical. Through all the physical, he didn't cry out, didn't scream, didn't complain. The Bible says, as a sheep before his shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. But then something happened so bad, Jesus cried out. He cried out in agony for all to hear. It wasn't the crown of thorns, the tortures, the beatings, the nails through his hands and feet. It was when your sins and my sins hit him. And God turned his back. And he cried out, why, oh God, have you forsaken me? Grace. For Jesus, no physical pain compared to being forsaken by God. God the Father turned his back on Jesus. Impenetrable mystery. Bow in wonder. Why? Because God was judging him for the sins of the world, damning him, condemning him. Christ died for our sins, for my sins, for yours, not as a victim, but as a volunteer. 
And the price he paid, he paid in full. It is finished. Grace. That's what we proclaim. And it changes lives like nothing else will. You know, when I was a kid, you talk about stoop and bending and going down. Jesus did it. When I was a kid, if someone spit on you, you had to fight. That was like as low as you can go. But then I experienced something this last April in Israel that made me realize just how far he went. After Jesus cried these words out to his heavenly Father, he said, I thirst. I was privileged to go to Israel in April. It was so wonderful. There was a cancellation last minute. No time for a Filipino to get a visa because of Egypt. Uh, the lady who donated the money knew me and said, I want Pastor Vince to go. We need an American passport holder. I said, yes, ma'am, I will. <laughs> and I got to go to Israel for free. They put me in charge of a bus of 45 uh, Chinese Filipinos, and we became best buddies, man, through that whole trip. I've never seen pic people take so many pictures in my entire life, but, but we really hit it off. It was so fun. And um, we had the best tour guide ever. He was a Messianic Jew. He was funny. He was a great storyteller. He was very knowledgeable, quite unlike me, and uh, we really loved him. And um, he took us into this room, and I believe it was Capernaum again, and he had everyone sit on the spaces. There were these rocks protruding out of the wall in rectangle shape, and he had everyone sit on the spaces, and then he began to tell us a story. He said, I want you to know this is a Roman bathroom, a public bathroom. This is how they did it in ancient Rome. He said, you sat on the space, you did your thing, there was a little canal under... Okay, just be patient with me, okay? This is weird, I know. But this will be meaningful by the time I'm done. There's a little canal that washes it away, and that's how they did it in Rome, a public bathroom. I was like, okay, where's he going with this? Okay, I knew he was setting us up for something. And it was one of these deals where we had these transistors in our ears, and he was just talking into like a radio, so we could be scattered all over listening without him yelling. And um, he says, now, if you were poor... Um, you cleaned yourself with your hand. They didn't have toilet paper. Everyone goes, and I'm thinking, where is he going with this? And, uh, but we were laughing too, and it was fun. And then he says, if you were poor, you did it yourself. If you were rich, if you had means, you had a servant do it for you. And they would get a hyssop branch with a hyssop leaf on the end, dip it in vinegar and clean you, and that's how you went away from the public bathroom. And I'm thinking, okay, where's he going with this? Then he threw in the clincher. He said, you know what? It's in the Bible. <laughs> he read from John 19, 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it in hyssop and put it to his mouth. And then he just didn't say anything. I was stunned. I knew the implication of what he was saying. I'd never heard that before. In fact, I heard it was sort of like a sedative and it was for his thirst or whatever, painkiller. I thought, that doesn't fit the narrative at all. Why would they all of a sudden be nice to Jesus after all they'd done up to that point? And a far better, though I'm not dogmatic, don't know for sure, but it fits the narrative better than me. Oh, you're thirsty, Jesus! In your face. I couldn't stop thinking about it the whole next day. I was a mixture of anger. How dare they do that to Jesus? 
but it was also worship. Jesus, you really went down for us. You suffered. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the, found in fashion as man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He went down for us. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And my heart was just filled with worship and gratitude for God's unspeakable grace that he would do that for us. And we forget sometimes the pit from which we've been dug. Amazing grace, unmitigated, unwarranted, unbelievable, outrageous grace for the Son of Man. Come to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise be to God. Never stop proclaiming that message. Amen? Never stop sharing it, receiving it, believing it. It is the last, best, only hope for this crazy world. As to missions, never stop praying. Never stop believing God's promises especially if you are able to step out in faith and serve him in some way. Never stop proclaiming grace. I believe all three of these ideas come together in the amazing story of David and Svea Flood. The year was 1921. A missionary couple from Sweden with their two-year-old son went to what was then called the Belgian Congo, later Zaire, today the Democratic Republic of the Congo. They joined another Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons, to take the gospel to a remote village, to make that sacrifice, to take that step of faith. They left the mission station and went to Endelera. But unfortunately, when they got there, the chief rebuffed them, didn't want anything to do with them, wouldn't let them stay in the village for fear they might offend the local gods. So they decided to move a half a mile up to a slope, build some mud huds, lived there, and they began to pray for spiritual breakthrough. But none came. The only contact they had was a little seven-year-old boy that the chief allowed to come to sell them chickens and eggs two times a week. So Svea Flood, this tiny four-foot-eight woman, decided, if this was the only person in this place that I can lead to Christ, so be it. She would try to lead the boy to the Lord. And she succeeded. He accepted Christ as his Savior. But no other encouragements came at all. All four members of their little team were hit severely by malaria. After a while, the Erickson said, we've had enough, and they got out of there, went back to the mission station, left Andulera. David and Svea Flood stayed alone. Svea got pregnant. She gave birth to a little girl they named Ein. Unfortunately, the delivery was so exhausting and the malaria had taken its toll on her The 17 days after Ein was born, Svea Flood passed away. Inside David Flood, something snapped. He dug a grave, put up a primitive white cross, buried his 27-year-old wife, took the two children down the mountain to the mission station, gave his newborn daughter to the Ericsons and snarled, I'm going back to Sweden 
I've lost my wife. I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he went down to the port, got on a boat, walked away from his calling, and walked away from his God. Eight months later, the Ericsons were stricken with a weird malady and both died within days of each other. The baby was turned over to an American couple. They changed the name to Aggie. Ended up going back to America, couldn't get back overseas, and so got into pastoral ministry in, many, in uh, South Dakota. Ina grew, or Aggie grew up, went to Bible college in Minnesota, met a man named Dewey Hurst. They got married, had kids, got into ministry. In time, he became the president of a Christian college in Seattle. When they got there, Aggie was surprised to see how much of a Scandinavian heritage there was at this school. One day, she went out to the mailbox, and there was a magazine in the mailbox. She brought it in the house and started to thumb through it. It was in Swedish. She didn't know Swedish, so she couldn't understand the writing, of course. But as she's going through it, she gets to the back page, and there's a picture of a little primitive white cross with the name Surveya Flood on it, the mother she never met. She rushed to the car. She rushed to the school. She found one of the professors who spoke Swedish, and she said, Sir, please tell me, what is this article about? He summarized there were missionaries in Endolera from Scandinavia, the birth of a baby, the death of a mother named Svea Flood, a little boy who was led to Christ. After the missionaries were gone, the little boy grew up and persuaded the chief of the village to build a school in Endolera, eventually led all of the students to Christ. Even the chief became a Christian, and many all around that tribal area accepted Jesus, all because of the sacrifice of David and Svea Flood. Can you hear Jesus say, it's worth it? Even though it might be hard to believe in the middle of it? We need to hear that. I need to hear that. For their 25th wedding anniversary, the school awarded Aggie and her husband with a wonderful gift, a trip to Sweden. Aggie was determined to find her father, whom she'd never met. He was an old man now, had a stroke dissipated his life through alcohol, had remarried, had other children, and off she went to Sweden to look for her dad. She found her half-brothers and sisters. They had a wonderful reunion together. And then she said, I'd like to see father. And they said, well, you can talk to him, even though he's very ill now, but you need to know something. Whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Aggie was not deterred. She walked into the dirty apartment of David Flood, liquor bottles everywhere, approached her 77-year-old father on a rumpled bed and said, Papa, he turned to her and began to cry, I'm sorry, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. He stiffened, the tears stopped, he became enraged. God didn't take care of you. He ruined our whole family. He led us to Africa and then betrayed us. He forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. It was a waste. Oh no, Papa. You did not go to Africa in vain. Mama did not die in vain. The little boy you wanted the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today there are thousands serving the Lord in this area because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you. David turned back and looked in his daughter's eyes. They began to talk. By the end of the afternoon, he softened and returned to the Lord, whom he had rejected for many decades. 
They enjoyed many wonderful moments together. Aggie and her husband soon had to leave for America. And within a few weeks, David Flood went into eternity. Grace! A few years later, the Hearst, Dewey, and Aggie were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England. A report was given from the current nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the church of the country, representing some 150,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Afterwards, Aggie could not resist, and she ran to the front to speak to the man and asked him, Sir, have you ever heard of the name David and Savea Flood? He said, Oh, yes, madame. It was Savea Flood who led me to Christ when I was seven. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. She's one of the most famous people in our church history. Oh, they embraced and sobbed and couldn't believe this discovery. You must come and visit your mother's grave, which in fact they did. Aggie and her husband went to Andalera. They were welcomed by cheering throngs of visitors. But the most dramatic moment came when she knelt at the cross at the grave of her mother. She said, thank you, Lord. It's worth it. It's worth it. Later that day, the pastor read from the Bible, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He continued, those who sow in tears will reap with joy. So brothers and sisters, as to missions and everything else, never stop praying. God responds because he cares, and he can. Never stop believing his promises. He will be with you every step of the way. Never stop proclaiming grace. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. People need the grace of God. Father in heaven, thank you for your wonderful grace that you sought us and found us. You promised that you would give us abundant life. Forgive us for those times we've wandered from you, from those episodes in our lives where we doubted your goodness and wanted to hang it up. Lord, help us not to lose heart, but to trust you and be a part of what you're doing in this world. Thank you for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.